Hello, and welcome once again to Desert Rain Community Radio. On today's episode, David Morrison and I discuss um, basically how, how can we support one, each other, one another um, during times of trial and tribulation. Uh, how can we show up for one another? Uh, how can we reach out and ask for help if we're struggling? And sort of delve into that uh, into that space. Uh, once again, thank you, Diego. Thank you, Monk Drums. That's what you can hear in the background. Um, theruin.com. You can uh, find some of David's writings. You can also find these podcasts there. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, just about anywhere. Um, if there's somewhere else you'd like these added, let us know. And without further ado, let's get after it. Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm here with David Morrison. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Happy. Uh, we don't typically put date markers on this, but happy Thanksgiving. It's that time of year. Yes, grateful for for friends and family, and uh, it's a weird time with the um, with COVID and not not yeah. having that typical those typical family gatherings. Yeah, didn't uh, get to be with my parents or daughter or brother. Yeah, the usual friends that we invite over and I strangers think, as well. I think last year. Was there probably 20 or 30 people at the Thanksgiving meal we shared? Yeah, probably. Somewhere in the, counting Pretty all typical. the little kids and stuff. Um, so with that being said, we kind of uh, talked about doing, uh, possibly doing a, a holiday special, if you Ooh, will. <laughs> a very special Desert Rain Community Radio. And uh, kick around this topic, kick around this idea of what do, how do we show up for people when we don't know? how to show up for people. Um, whether it's someone uh, that w- we highly respect or just someone we care about suffers a tragedy. Yeah. Whether it's uh, a, lo- a loved one of theirs or medical, uh, some kind of medical emergency. And uh, it seems like people get real awkward Yeah. when they see someone else suffering. Absolutely. Yeah, in my own experience of tragedy and... What I've observed in other people is uh, there tends to be a almost a a superstition that develops around mm. the person that experienced the tragedy. They don't they don't generate it. The people the awkward people, yeah, people the, around you, generate yeah, right, right, right. Because there's a and, it, and I've seen it across the board, whether it's in uh, traditional Christian circles or. In new age circles, they think there's some sort of bad energy or, or, uh, I remember when a my bad omen, yeah, so to speak. So when my brother was killed, there were people in our church that were whispering, uh, loud enough for me to hear, obviously, uh, you know, that, uh, my brother was in hell and that tragedy happened to us because we were uh, a Catholic family. And so oh, wow. God wasn't able to somehow cover us with his covenant and his blood and, it's blessing and you know. And so you were you were you you were not regularly, you personally were not can still regularly attending the Catholic Church at that point? No, but you? my parents were. Right. Yeah. 
So, so, the, so, so the people, people that you were going to church with yeah, were saying that about yeah. the family. So there's a superstition. There's a, you know, it's the, it's a volcano God, if you will. You know, you didn't, you didn't perform the right sacrifices. And so Do therefore the right something's dance. wrong with you. Something is, you're marked for, for tragedy. You're marked for suffering. And so there's this repellent that can come over you, uh, Generated by the people around you, not by right, you. not by the person, and not by your circumstance. And God has not done that to you, uh, nor is the energies, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Or you didn't, you uh, didn't think yourself into that, yeah. And so uh, tragedy. It, and so they, yeah. So if they get too close to you, uh, the 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 mojo might rub off. You know, the bad luck might rub off on them. So, so a lot of people will keep their distance from you. Um, it's interesting. Uh, in 2011, I think I've mentioned I, I went septic and was in ICU, and mm-hmm. I was on the verge of dying. All my organs had failed. And prior to that, you know, I, I had about three or four people that I talked with regularly that were of the word of faith persuasion, and. Um, and what does that mean? What's the word of faith persuasion? Uh, they're always looking for uh, an opportunity to pray for the sick okay. and to heal them. Okay. And none of those people showed up to my hospital bed. They uh, were quite afraid at the end because it's a, it was a facade, you know, of against bad luck kind of thing. And so there's this ice that covers people. <laughs> and, and when you know someone that's been in tragedy like that— uh, if, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be able to generate enough heat to melt that ice mm. uh, and and sit with them. And probably the, the ice, I mean, this is kind of a broad brush, but would ha- would occur to the people you're closest with. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe but, not your immediate family, I, but I think that most, next layer out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think most people would agree who've experienced things like this, the the death, the initial death of a loved one is one thing, but then there's a, a flurry of activity to mm-hmm. make preparations for their burial or cremation, whatever, and, uh, and dealing with their belongings and those kinds of things. And then there's the funeral, and that's when everyone disappears. After the, uh, the support disappears after the funeral right. or the wake or the, the, the wake afterwards, the, the party, mm-hmm. if you will, the, the get together after the funeral. And that silence that descends on a house mm-hmm. after that is uh is a profound silence, uh, deep, deep silence that comes over a house. And that's where your real friends need to to come in and uh try to help you navigate through that emptiness. Yeah, and, and um, I was just listening to a podcast about this earlier this week, and I wish I could remember the name of the woman, but her her mom had passed away at a very young age, mm-hmm. and she said after that, her father, when anybody when he would hear that anyone had passed away, he would go show up for them that very yeah. next day because he said the day after everything yeah. the initial death was the the quietest he had, that house had ever been yeah. that he had shared with his wife 
And then also what you're saying is, because there is, there is that initial, I think about when my grandparents passed away, there's all that initial, I don't want to say busyness, but getting prepared for, for each different step. And then once that's done, everyone kind of goes back to quote unquote normal. Right. But you don't. Right. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I think about my grandma. She, yeah, she was probably in mourning for at least, I mean, she still is. But a real, real mourning for about a year. Yeah. And most people are afraid of you at that point or they're – a lot of times in my case, uh, my situation offended their theologies and their worldviews. So – Because you got sick? No, because I had a brother – yeah, sickness oh, oh, or, oh. or uh, untimely tragedy in, in, a, in a household, untimely death, uh, tragic death kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't – it cuts the grain of their – Magical thinking, which is their mm. theology, which is uh, if I'm a Christian, that means God will protect me from sadness. God Nothing will, bad will happen. Yeah. Uh, in the, and God will procure the American dream for me. And so Jesus Christ becomes a, an empty canvas that they project the American dream for prosperity and, and living your life enveloped in velvet, as George Costanza would say, or cotton, you know, in comfort. You know, basically picturing Jesus in a business suit, yeah, and a flag, an American flag in the background lapel, on his lapel, yeah, uh, blue eyes, of course, and yeah, um, and so, so when your when your life story contradicts their worldview, mm. they don't want to talk to you anymore. Is what happens, and and you know, and, and it's tragic, but they weren't your friends, and that's kind of what the comedy of Job is is saying. So one of the early Jewish comedies uh, in the Bible. Right. And and that's kind of what's what's happening there as well. Uh, it's not so much a theological statement as is, as it is a, a human right. comedy G- drama. Right. God and <laughs> the devil aren't actually playing parlor games in yeah, that story. No, no. And if you have that worldview, I'd feel sorry for you. Right. You, you need to rethink. Well, that. and... and um, because, uh, like, I think I think about the crucifixion is is the story of suffering. The yeah, whole the point, Jewish, the Jewish story. Yeah, the <laughs> whole point of that story is that God came down to to learn to suffer as we suffer. Yeah, and embody that suffering exactly. in, in, a, in a very real way. And and it's actually this lines up a little bit. Well, not a little bit, a lot of bit. But I was I recently did uh, talk about compassion. And I was really trying, I was, to me, the more I read about it and the more I, I thought about it, compassion is probably one of the most illogical things right. we have. Yeah. Like depth of our bone compassion, not like this intellectual idea like, oh, yeah, you know, I have compassion for the world or whatever. Right. But really where you feel someone else's, uh, whether it's their thoughts or their emotions or their, um, in this case, their suffering. And I, going back to the Latin root, uh, pati means to suffer and come, C-O-M, is with. Right. And so to suffer with is the, the, or the root of compassion. Yeah. And that really made me look at that word or look at that, that idea because that, I mean, when I hear that, it resonates. It's like, right. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. when when I'm really in a compassionate place, I can I can feel 
another's uh, just whatever they're going through. Yeah. You know, and and I didn't actually share this story. You know this story because I've shared it with you personally. But two of the gentlemen that I visited uh, in the detention center, one of them was awarded asylum. And I saw you later that day and I was just flying right. that flying high. And it wasn't because I, I didn't do anything right. for that asylum. It you wasn't know? a win on your part. No, nothing, nothing in my on the grand scheme of things, nothing in my life yeah. changed except I got to see my friend succeed. And yeah. I was I, I might have been more excited than he was on a certain level, because he he's pretty yeah. pretty grounded, pretty well, level. And the responsibility of freedom that can be heavy. Yeah. He probably knew it more than any of us would. And then another gentleman, it was probably almost exactly a year later, was deported back to, to the yeah. dangerous country of Cameroon. And leading up to that, the, the sadness I felt, yeah. even before he left, yeah. and the, the despair that I felt, um, it, it, was just, it was just a very interesting thing to experience that joy uh, and then experience that deep sadness. Yeah. And I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the experience of Christ in your life. And, uh, and that's the, the center of all, all the, the contemplative center of all the religions mm. is, is definitely that. It's empathy. It's compassion. Um, it's the fruit of any claim of spirituality. Yeah, and I'm not sure how we... Because, because there is also something to be said. There is a truth and an honesty. And what you're saying as far as that, the onlookers getting scared or nervous or right. frightened away that they're going to, the bad luck's going to rub off on them, I think is, right. is kind of how you painted the picture. There is some truth to that. People are, for whatever reason, afraid to get too close. Right. And they'll use their religion or spirituality to enforce that as well. To what, bypass. Do you, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, how 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 so? Uh, it's, it's very common, and it doesn't matter which religion or mm -hmm. what spiritual path you're taking. Right. One of the great temptations uh, is to use spirituality to bypass uh Issues of suffering in your own life, your interior suffering, things that you're ashamed of, things that you don't want to deal with that are because they're too uncomfortable, uh, difficult conversations. And so we gloss over it with religious language. Uh, well, the poor will always have with us. Jesus said it. Mm. Uh, and, and so that so then somehow protects me from engaging with people that are really suffering with poverty. It keeps them at arm's length. Yeah, exactly. Because Jesus said so. Exactly. So they use a Bible verse for that, um, or, you know, or, or any other uh, using using meditation or or to to gain your own specific, customized, individualized inner peace to shield you from uh, the rest of the world and the world situation, and and worse, the situation of people right who might live in your own house. Um, mm. And to not engage with them, and so true spirituality is, especially in Christianity, we you know we have as our major logo a God who becomes fully human mm -hmm. and is born not in a palace, but it was born homeless, 
Right. As a refugee. Literally homeless. Yeah. Literally a refugee. Uh, an asylum seeker, uh, you know, running running away from the law. Um, yeah, he left Israel to go to Egypt. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and lives impoverished, you know, and, and lived as a peasant and was crucified as a peasant. And, and so, uh, so we have a God that runs into the situation of the world, mm. into the suffering of the world, into the suffering of my own life and heart, and is one with me there, and is at work uh, reconciling these things and transforming them into a real joy, not just a circumstantial happiness, but a deep joy that's, again, like you said, it's uh, irrational. It's mm. transrational. You know, so, so yeah, so it's very easy to do that. And, um, and it's, and it's easy to go the other way too, where you get overwhelmed right, with, with the situation of the world and you feel helpless and you feel guilty and you let those things motivate you. Uh, and then that's a sure path of self-destruction as well. Right. And I, and, and to sort of loop back to what you were saying, I think that's where the, uh, the spiritual, practices You're right. become even more important because they're going to give you some insight as far as like how much can, how much of this can you bear? Yeah. You know, exactly. how much of this, how much is this for you to handle today? Yeah. So you don't become over identified with it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you become a, you know, the, the, this, a savior complex, a messianic complex where it's up to you to, bring justice, what's up to you to do this work or, you know, and so, uh, well, and it's, and it's, I've heard, heard this, um, as far as like nonprofits are concerned, a nonprofit's true mission should be to put themselves out of business. Yeah. Right. Like to, if, if, if your purpose is to feed the hungry. Yeah. Hopefully you can, you know, get to a point where there's no more hungry people <laughs> yeah, in your community, right? Exactly. Which is a lofty thing, but that should still be the goal. But then right. if you get into that sort of savior complex, it's like, oh, we'll always be here because yeah. we, we need to we need to do this work. And it's like, well. Yeah. And then it goes to that saying, I forgot who, I think it was a French philosopher because it's cynical enough. Um, every movement devolves into a, mm. a business and then that business devolves further into a racket right? basically. And, uh, and that surely definitely happens. Yeah. There's, yeah, you could go through history. With, <laughs> We're not naming any names. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to point any fingers. Yeah. I don't want to get assassinated on my dirt road. <laughs> but yeah, if you go, if you, you can go, if you don't have to go that far in history. And even if you go far into history, right. it happens over and over and yeah, over again. And so there's always a need for renewal for challenge, mm-hmm. for, uh, uh, re, you know, reconstruction, deconstruction. And, well, and that's what know. makes the prophets so exactly. important, yeah. right? Exactly. You need a prophetic voice that's outside of the system that can speak and challenge authority. And unfortunately, at least biblically, those people usually end up dead. Oh, yeah. 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 Because <laughs> <laughs> they're messing with someone's racket. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. You mess with the racket, it's over for you. So what the early church did, they messed with the the Roman racket of mm. circuses, bread circuses and uh, that kind of thing. Trying to, you know, Paul, the apostle, his greatest mission was to hu- make this huge collection 
from the Gentiles, you know, and, and it was the ancient world, so they didn't, right. they didn't have a banking system. So he literally mm-hmm. carried exchanging this pagan money uh, to, you know, larger sums or however it worked so that he could present it to Jerusalem. And it was a healthcare system, basically, is what it was going to be. Healthcare and food system for the, the Jerusalem church. And uh, and the best that they know, scholars think the that someone within the Christian community betrayed Paul mm. and, and Peter as well. And they were uh, arrested by the Romans and having that kind of sum of money. Looks suspicious. Looks like, looks like a, a revolution. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then the the sum of money, which was apparently huge, uh, disappeared into history. Right. Into the smoke and ashes of Jerusalem of 70 AD. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, you don't mess with the rackets. Yeah, and, and um, to sort of bring it back to to the here and now, you know, what, what, what sort of suggestions would you give to anyone that, uh, that might be listening who maybe they, they've seen a friend or a family member or a loved one have one of these tragedies and they've, they've been able to recognize in themselves that they've become cold or distant from that mm, person, yeah. but they don't want to be. Yeah. So I would assume you're that their dominant feeling is they just, it's helplessness. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to help them. So therefore I'm just going to keep distance. Um, And my, one of my teachers, James Finley said it really well. Um, He said, if if we can sit with someone and not invade them or abandon them, Mm. but sit in the tension of that and, uh, and to hold space, hold the, the, the space between you, um, so in other words, accept that you can't take away the tragedy that happened. You're you not going to so fix it. So accept that. Yeah. And you can't make those feelings of theirs go away and they shouldn't go away. Those are, that's the human experience. Right. And so those feelings need to flow through them. And, and only that individual knows how long they need to grieve or whatever it is. Uh, the, American, the, the individual that's experiencing. Right. right. So release them of that expectation. Well, they should be over it by now. It was just a chihuahua, for God's sake. You know. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, it well, was a Taco Bell It wasn't chihuahua. just a chihuahua <laughs> right. to them. It was their love. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a loyal friend, a good friend. And so, uh, so release any kind of rules that you think you've mm. placed on how long it takes someone to grieve. Uh, and then also understand that they will never get over it in that sense. They may become functional again, and they'll go back to quote-unquote normal life. But they will never feel the way that they did before the tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's it can't the bell can't be unrung. Right. So I accept that, and uh, and so so yeah. So so the challenge is to not invade them, which is to uh, to preach your agenda upon them and what you think they should be doing. Yeah, especially with the, in the realm of advice. Yeah. So just be quiet. Yeah. And the second would be uh, to not abandon them. And so, uh, you know, so put the invitation for a social thing out there. They may say no for the first 10 times. Keep inviting them, though. Don't exclude them. Always keep and don't take it personally that they're mm-hmm. saying no. But give them the, 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 the sovereignty of choice, at least, 
to hang out with you guys or to not hang out with you or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, in another lifetime, I was an English teacher with a literature degree and, and, and I would say, you know, the, the psalm of world literature, uh, kind of comes down to, in dealing with adversity, Mm -hmm. dealing with tragedy, kind of comes down to three basic things in dealing with adversity and trouble. One is, uh, distraction. Right. And so you could become an agent of distraction for them and just, you know, be an agent of comedy, uh, laughter or silliness, very small things for them, make them, uh, a, stat, a little figurine of them out of pasta or something like that, you know, very small little things. Um, small, but important. Yeah. A, a quick email here or there or message, um, you know, and, and the second is creativity. So, you know, give yourself to something creative, bring something new into the world. So invite them to do something like that. Um, a project of some sort, you know, this could be simple, could be, could be huge, you know, uh, and uh, and I forget what the third one was. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll give you a third. <laughs> I'll take I'll t- I'll take that pass. Um, and I, I know for me, when I'm encountering someone that's going through something that I have no context yeah. for, being vulnerable myself and saying, "How can I help you? How can I support you in this moment?" Yeah, and. Whatever they reply with, I can't ask that question unless I'm willing to do what they like. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have to I'm not asking that question in hopes that they say, Oh, it's it's all good. Yeah. You know, like but if you know, so if I don't have the time to step into something, right. not asking that question and knowing that I'm asking this question and I'm about to you know, they might say, well, I need, I'm out of groceries. I'm almost out of groceries. Yeah. Can you go to the grocery store and pick up these 50 things? Yeah. And, and, and my answer in that instance has to be yes. Right. Cause I just opened myself up myself in a vulnerable way. Right. And they've also stepped into that place of vulnerability. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. It's a cliche uh, saying, you know, to say to someone, if there's anything I can do, right. anything, yeah, don't say that. Right. Uh, if you're not you, willing. You, yeah. Be, because and if it, you are willing, make it more specific than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I get you something? Can I bring you some, some Sour Patch Kids or something like that? Well, and, and I think you, in, in my example, it can be vague, but making sure there's also that authenticity. Right. Because I know for me, I don't, there's a lot of times I don't know how I could help someone. Right. Exactly. Like I can't even think of something. And um, now if it's someone, if it's something very obvious, you know, yeah. like someone has a flat tire and it's been flat for two days. Yeah. Asking, yeah. Like, you need to, can I change the tire for you? Do you need a ride to the tire show? You know, if it's something very obvious and that's a different thing, but if I know for me watching someone in tragedy, right. I I don't always know what that might be. And the person doesn't know. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. When people have asked me that question, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I just say, well, pray for me. And and I like to also reach when we both don't know, 
following up with that, like, yeah. if you think of something specific, please let me know. And, yeah. And I can, I, I'm available for that. Yeah. And being okay that you don't know. Mm-hmm. I think, I feel like you and I have talked about it on, on other episodes, but um, the only way to get into a place of a vulnerable friendship is you got to take that first step of right. vulnerability yeah. and hope that it's uh, met yeah. by the other person. And it might not be. No, and you need to be okay with that. Right. There are times I've been vulnerable with people. And the vulnerability was misunderstood or rejected. Mm. And you just have to, you have to have some resiliency built up. Right. Because the rejection isn't about you personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really isn't. And so again, you, you identify, but not over identify. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a paradoxical place to be. And and again, the spiritual practices help you, uh, help that, uh, help you to develop that resiliency. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, being being comfortable with that uncertainty. Yeah, of um, the person not knowing what to do about the tragedy, and and um, and you not being able to know what to do. Yeah, about that in that space. And I think uh, with with our ability. To connect with another person. There's some there's something important about it's a fine line to walk, right? Because there's a necessary authenticity. Because I think if you approach someone inauthentic in those times, there's a possibility that more damage will be done. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another on the other side of the coin, reaching out to be helpful and persistent in them knowing you're available and not going over the edge of yeah becoming a pester or an annoyance as they grieve and mourn yeah and it's very uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable process to uh you know we all put expectations on one, on each other mm-hmm. right right and and half of them probably are unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. that we put on people and for me, it's been a very difficult process through the years to, to be okay, to be at peace with um, realizing now that's, that's an un, uh, this person is placing a, a, an unrealistic expectation on me and I can't fulfill it. And I'm okay with saying no. And, and, they, and that may break the, the friendship, may break the relationship altogether. Uh, but but you've got to become uh, comfortable with saying I can't fulfill that expectation. Mm-hmm. And there's different seasons, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know when I was recovering from heart failure and triple bypass surgery, I had to I had to uh, be tough on myself and say, look, you can't. This was my interior right, dialogue, right, right. saying um, you can't be expected to be there for people right now. And, uh, and people that expect that from you, uh, they're just going to have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. And, and the guilt is yours to choose, uh, or, or not to have, you know? And so, so I had to do that and I've had to do that over, 
over the years. Well, I remember speaking of that specifically, the um, your most recent uh, heart surgery. I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one, but relatively shortly afterwards, you you jumped on a phone call with someone uh, that was in need of something. Mm. I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I don't it was remember. some kind of pastoral care. I don't I don't know. I don't know who it was or what yeah. it was about or anything like that. But later that evening, you were just totally exhausted. Oh yeah, yeah. It took and, more out of me than I thought. Yeah, was, you had. And you, I thought I had more strength than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, because so these things take emotional currency mm-hmm. out of you. Yeah, for sure. And and so, you know, and 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 the way I remember you talking about it's not that you necessarily regretted stepping into that role. Yeah, no, I thought because I was, you thought you were ready. Yeah, exactly. But then you reassessed. You yeah, know, and I realized the next uh, day, someone else will have to take the, uh, a call in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, if there comes if something comes up. Yeah, and so I think I think that's a good example of just. Uh, being honest with ourselves of um, whether we're – if we're empty, we can't help other people. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, if someone asks for that help, I have to – I have, and I, I think sometimes it's even harder to be honest with ourselves about what, what we're able to give and what we're able to um, help uh, shoulder some of those yeah, burdens yeah. at times. Because it's seasons, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. And it's good to have a tough mom. <laughs> you know, when I was in ICU in 2011, a lot of visitors coming in. And and some people, they just just, just don't get it. And right. one particular individual was, uh, I guess he figured I was dying. So he wanted to confess everything of his insecurities and depression and issues and just unloaded on me. Not he didn't not you're not saying he wanted to confess problems between you and him. No, no, it was his own his problems own in his own life. And uh and you're you're on all strapped up on life support. Yeah, the nurse had just seen me and was shocked. The the night uh shift nurse had just come back and she was shocked that I wasn't on uh life support. Wow. She was like very happy. Yeah. Because they were planning on putting me on life support and and, and so this guy made it completely all about him. And so then my mom kicked him out. My mom was in the room and she said, you need to go and kicked him out. And so <laughs> you don't want to mess with an Irish mom. No, 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 for sure. Or Mexican moms. <laughs> she was like, would you let my son die in peace? <laughs> he doesn't need, he doesn't need this right now. He's, uh, his body's trying to make a fight, trying yeah. to make a comeback. And then the, one of the kidney doctor the night before when they were huddled around my bed, asked me, you know, what do you, what do you do for a living, Mr. Morrison? And I was, oh, I'm a, I was a pastor. <laughs> I guess tomorrow I won't be. And he was like, and he goes, oh God, we're going to have a lot of visitors. And so. Oh, so he was, yeah, he had he already like, witnessed. Yeah. He was yeah. like, oh God, one of these guys. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And I think that just goes back to that. That's sort of the opposite reaction, right, of, of the cold and distant person. Yeah, yeah, that's that, invasion. <laughs> yeah, they need to come and, and uh, I guess, make sure their life is in order. Because, yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's something power. If I confess my difficulties to a dying person, they'll take my troubles with them to the grave. Right. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what, the, what the thought process would be. In that, I've uh, never done that to a dying person. So. Yeah, I've <laughs> myself. So, 
Anyways. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I think going – I wanted to go back and sort of delve into that uh, – the James Finley idea of um, – what was it? You don't want to invade or abandon. Ah, uh, yeah. And um, – you know, one of one of the stories that I, that I have reread this week a number of times is uh, Parker Palmer talks about his uh, depression, yeah, and his friend coming over each day to massage his feet. And one of the things that he he talks about specifically, and I think this goes is directly connected to what you're saying about James Finley earlier. His his uh, suggestion, but uh, James Finley said very few words were exchanged. His friend, whose name is Bill, very rarely said anything. Oh, Parker, you mean? Yeah, Parker Palmer. Yeah, Yeah, Parker Palmer is in this depression and his friend Bill comes to massage his feet. And every now and then, you know, his his, uh, friend would say, uh, I I can sense you the struggle that you're having today or uh, it feels as though you're getting stronger. Mm. And in, even when Bill would say something, Parker Palmer wouldn't have the words to respond right. necessarily. But he said in that moment, it was life-giving knowledge. Those were his exact words, mm-hmm. life-giving knowledge to know he was being seen by another human being. Wow. Even though he couldn't being say Being witnessed. hmm Yeah. In that deep – because – and I don't, I don't know if – what your history is or um, – any depression that you you maybe have ever encountered, I know I know I have, and and um, those times that I've been in that place of deep sadness or depression, it's totally isolating and very right. lonely. Yeah, and so I can only imagine how strong that that uh, being seen. Yeah, no, it's very powerful to be present to someone, to give the gift of your presence, and um. It's just, it's, there are no words mm-hmm. for it. And usually there aren't any words, you know, and I've seen that in hospice work. Mm. Yeah. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. A lot of times a patient, many times, uh, at least in my brief experience so far, it got cut short when, from COVID. Right. But two years, three years of experience, uh, uh, many of the patients are, have dementia, are in mm. the depths of dementia. Uh, in their 80s or 90s, right. and um, or or uh, Alzheimer's disease, and and so you can't have a rational conversation with them anyway, you know, and and so some patients you'll you'll just have the same conversation for two and a half hours, three hours, you know, uh, mm. you know, is, is that your car out there? Uh, yes, ma'am, that's my car. What kind of car is that? It's a Toyota. Oh, okay, and then. I want to move. You help them move to the next, uh, another chair. Mm-hmm. Is that your car out there? Yes, yeah. ma'am. That's my car. What kind of car is that? That's and so you. So it's just you have to bend yourself to become present. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, in ways beyond words, and uh, you know, eye contact or just simply uh, being still, uh, not watching TV in the room. Uh, that's a hard one. When I would visit patients who had the TV on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they would want, sometimes want the yeah, TV yeah. on, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that uh, the, the 
the uh, swamp that is daytime television. <laughs> oh my goodness! So it was very hard right. for me to center myself, and when uh, just these commercials for adult diapers and what and how happy people are wearing adult diapers. All the different uh, prescription how meds. amazing the life can become <laughs> if you buy this product. And it's, it was awful. It was just, and so to not, uh, to be able to be still under a blaring television like that and be present to the patient uh, was was the big leagues for me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's very, especially, I mean, of course, TV programs and advertisement companies put millions and millions of dollars of research on how to capture our attention. Yeah, and so to to be in that that space and have your attention, yeah, yeah, laser focused as best you could is, I could imagine, is not easy. And, and it's funny because as you were bringing up, my my grandfather passed away from uh, Alzheimer's, and. One of the last memories I have with him, because he he would leave the TV on basically, right? When I, and during the waking hours, and it's loud. It's not you know, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, there's yeah. hearing problems. Yeah, and, exactly. And he didn't want to wear his hearing aids. Blah blah. blah. Yeah. But one of the, one of the last memories I have with him is I went over to the uh, the nursing home he was in, and it was um, I guess it was New Year's Day. No, it was New Year's Eve. And uh, the college playoffs were playing uh, the football playoffs. And he he grew up in Alabama, and Alabama was playing Michigan State. And, uh, you know, and I, so I turned on the game. And that's a little bit different because him and I bonded over football right, yeah. for years and years. And, and I just sat there with him, and I couldn't tell you how long, you know, and, and we watched football and um, – and the repeated conversations, like you were saying, yeah. were occurring as we're sitting there together. It was just him and I in this room. You know, it's the size of a, a typical bedroom and the TV's on and, you know, and just like you're saying, just and, – and I had no idea this was going to be one of my last interactions with him, you know. Yeah. But because um, I almost didn't go over there that night. Mm. But I was like, no, like – He'll be happy just to have the Alabama football game on. And when I walked in the room, it wasn't on, you know, because yeah. because no one there would know the context that that might be important to him. And, um, you know, and I was in town for the holiday season. I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And so even just sitting there with the with the TV on and those repeated conversations and and knowing this, you know, this is my grandfather. This is who my grandfather is yeah. today, and and uh, and I and I was still able to show up, regardless of yeah. of anything else. Yeah, and these moments when people are present to you, it's life changing, and and so I think a lot of times we it can become where we don't even realize we are being present to someone, mm. kind of like the parable of uh, the you know the, the sheep and the goats in Matthew twenty four. You know, when Lord did we see you? You know, and uh, I remember one time I had to, again, in 2011, uh, they had to keep a wound open in my leg for three months mm-hmm. to train the infection. And right. Let it let it heal painful. from the inside yeah. out. So I had to go to a wound care clinic once a week and they had to mm. open up the wound again and scrape it out. And, and the wait there was very long. It was a small clinic. They were mm. way overworked. 
the patients were just, most were diabetic mm. patients who had had uh, amputations and uh, very sad. I mean, and so I would be waiting in the waiting room for, on average, probably two hour. It was a two hour wait. Before you even saw Before you even the go doctor. into the interview. Yeah. Right. And then it was just the, sh- the sheets, the, the, you know, the rooms weren't rooms. They were oh, okay. a bed with the sheets yeah, around yeah. like ICU style. Uh-huh. So you could hear. And then, so that was another two hour wait. So uh, this was an all day affair. I'm in this wound care clinic and there were patients there. Uh, there was one was an infant uh, child mm. whose twin had already died of a certain cancer. And this child had already had several operations mm-hmm. and surgeries and, and they were caring for a wound on this child. So this, so this staff, there was very small staff and they were really overworked. And, and I kept seeing the, you know, when I was there, I'd see these machines, these strange looking machines, you know, across the room, uh-huh. across the clinic. Right. And my last day there, uh, I asked, cause you know, I'd gotten along with the, the nurse. It was the same nurse every time. Right. So finally I asked her, I said, Hey, this is my last time. So what are those machines over there? And she goes, oh, yeah, those are, uh, she goes, a lot of our patients are diabetic, and so they're cold all the time because uh, of the circulation right. in their feet. So we put blankets in those machines, and they warm them up. They're like oh, wow. ovens for blankets, you know. And, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then she leaves, and a couple of minutes later comes back and gives me one of those <laughs> blankets that's super warm. <laughs> and I just started crying because why would she care that much about me? And I was the least of their patients, right. so to speak. I didn't have, I mean, you know, I was, it was, you know, my, I wasn't being amputated, you know, and right. so I wasn't as bad off as other, as some of the other yeah, people around. Very old people, people coming in from hospice. They right. call you in from hospice to have your wounds cared for. It's a bad situation. And so, so the fact that she cared about me that much and wrapped me up in a blankie, Oh, a hot a Nice, dorm. I was going to say, yeah. not just a blanket. Yeah, I feel like a Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, inside of a pie. <laughs> it's like the, the upper echelon of blankets. Yeah. And she's and in her mind, she's just, she was just doing her job. That's something that she does every day mm-hmm. and doesn't think twice about. For me, that was a huge thing in the midst of a very difficult winter. And so, you know, she was present to me. Well, and I, and I think... That's why, um, and especially in that uh, profession, the healthcare profession, yeah. nurses specifically, you know, there's your regular average nurse that might not think twice to bring you that blanket, right. and then there's another, there's another one, and and some, you know, some people have bad days and some people have good yeah, days, yeah, and, they- but to be seen like that is. Um, you know, because like you said, it was a hard winter. Yeah, very difficult. And and I, I think for me, and you know, I, I going back to the Parker Palmer story with his friend massaging the feet. It's it's kind of to couple that with us being honest with ourselves. Like when we're in that good space, looking for the opportunity to be present with someone. And when we're in the dark space, being able to reach out yeah. to people and and just being, once again, vulnerable in the sense yeah. of like, I'm not in a great situation. I'm not in a great place. Yeah. And it may never change. Right. Yeah. 
and just and just being open and honest about that with because I mean that's one of the biggest gifts I've had in the last decade of my life is finding people that I know I can reach out to that like you were saying those qualities that James Finley talked about they're not going to invade my my yeah. situation they're not going to abandon me whereas there's other people in my life and I'm this isn't necessarily a critique I just know. When I need help, I don't call them because they're right. going to try to give me advice. Exactly. They'll be like, oh, well, just cheer up, man. It's such a beautiful day. Yeah. Just, go, just go get some sunlight. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that's a good start. You yeah, know, my yeah, mom yeah. always tells me that, right? Right. I mean, it's not bad advice, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, okay, I'd, you know, it's, it's like uh, the meme on the internet, you know. My therapist says I need to drink more water yeah. and eat healthy. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, those things are probably true, but that's not what yeah. I need to hear right this drink moment. Drink lots of water. That's all I tell. That's all I'm good for for my daughter. Drink lots of water. Get sunlight. Uh, move as much as you can. Yeah, move your body if you uh, can. I'm a dad. I have nothing else. I've got nothing else. <laughs> that's the the beginning and the end of your of yeah. the advice. Uh, the advice column you have to write for your daughter. Well, beautiful, man. I, I think that's uh, a good place to sort of uh, leave off um, as far as exploring some of these ideas. And um, as, as we wrap it up, I, you know, I think the one thing I would, I would suggest to people is, is if you're in a good place, uh, reach out to your friends and family as, as we come to the end of 2020 and, and uh, cycle into 2021 and and um, be open and vulnerable to to people as far as uh, that might need your assistance even if it's just to listen to um, listen on the phone you know yeah. with COVID and everything else if you can't physically be there and uh, or if you're in the in experiencing that dark that dark night right now um, reaching out to those. Uh, that may may be able to listen to you or um, uh, help you in, in some way. I would I would highly suggest on either side of that, and and it might d- determine on what day it is. Yeah, you might wake yeah. up in a really great place. I know sometimes I do, and and can be helpful to others. And and sometimes I need the one. I'm the one that needs needs to be reaching out, asking for for assistance in some way. Yeah. So, yeah, Mr. David you. Morrison. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate your time once again. Appreciate another another episode of uh, Desert Rain Community Radio. Yeah. And uh, thank you, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you.